Good evening and welcome to Slogging It. This is episode 12. Uh, the three of us are here, delighted to be with you for another week uh, to talk some nonsense about cricket, interview an absolutely wonderful guest and talk some more nonsense about cricket. Um, tonight we will cover off South Africa versus Pakistan, uh, the fact that the Vitality Blast Royal London One Day Cup and County Championship fixtures have been announced, uh, Big Bash final uh, including one James Vince, the T10, uh, West Indies Bangladesh and we're not going to talk to you about England because we've just recorded a quick 20 minute summarisation of the first four days of the test. Uh, that you will have no doubt listened to by the time you have gotten around to listening to this uh, and the result will already be finalised and we will talk about that tomorrow. Um, so, gentlemen, starting off, um, I want to start off with what I just think is an incredible story. Um, West Indies, Bangladesh, Myers, day five, chasing a fuckload. Ah, just going to, what, test debut? Yeah, 210 out in the fourth dig, if you don't mind. What is that? If Carlsberg did, did debuts, <coughs> big smoke, then uh, the highest ever run chasing in in Asia would would be up there, wouldn't they? They've had a, to be fair, they've had a few. Shy Hope did a thing like that a while ago, didn't he? And then they've had all of a sudden they, they, they have these guys that seem to pluck from playing nothing but the Caribbean Premier League mm. and whatever else. And we all know everyone's knows the things with West Indies cricket and the shambles that's been the board and whatever, and all the other bits and bobs that have gone off. So, but they're still, they've still got some very talented lads. Um, but no, it was, it was amazing. I mean, what's basically supposedly a West Indies B side to go there and having more than likely never played in most of those types of conditions before. I know a lot of the big three travel around in lions or, or A or whatever they want to be called, but I can't imagine the West Indies border chucking a couple of grand at sending a West Indies A to Bangladesh. Well, like it's funny you say that, and we talked about this the other week. So obviously they've got a couple of first choice lads. So the first choice wicket keepers there, Craig Brathwaite's there, um, but there aren't many of them. But one thing that we did talk about the other week when talking about this, and we, the fact that we were surprised that some of them decided not to go, whether they were young in their test careers or whatever. They, they, and it's kind of quite nicely proven what our, our point is that, well, if these lads who are, who go into some of the most testing conditions available to play test cricket in anywhere in the world and do well, then these lads who've decided to stay at home for, for a bit, for what, you know, and, and their reasons are valid, for, I'm, I'm sure. Um, run the risk of now being saying, well, you've not been performing, lads. You know, they were talking about that top six coming over here and coming to England in the, the summer and people wondering if that top six was done. And then obviously went to New Zealand, didn't do very well. You know, are these lads now sitting at home going, oh shit, I might not be, uh, I might not be getting back in anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, first of all, as Simon says, it's great to see that another T20, a T20 tournament has kicked off uh, a load of talent coming in. Um, again, you know, you watch the CPL, most of those boys grew up there. Is it a big stage? It probably is for them. You know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of crowds that you get into the CPL and then you get some good, you know, good exposure. So, yeah, I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, look, they have their reasons for not touring. Um, from my perspective, the incumbent is now incumbent. Yeah. You know, if you've got somebody that's scoring runs and taking wickets, well, guess what? The position's mine. If you, you know, in order to, to get dropped now, 
Um, I need to not perform and somebody else needs their opportunity. But, you know, I've taken my opportunity with two hands and I'm going to run with it. How um, how many games does 210 out on debut by you in Bangladesh? Because, and I, the reason I ask that, and it, it is quite, a, it, it's a bit of a pokey question on purpose, I guess, because there will be, only as Simon rightly brings up, the board in West Indian cricket isn't known for necessarily being the most... Um, honest or open organisation at times and you know they fall out with the players every other Tuesday but they uh, normally a Wednesday I think actually (laughs) sorry my bad Um, but are they these lads who are at home going to be saying well actually no I've been playing for years and you know are they are whether we agree with it or not are they going to walk back in regardless of how well these other lads have done I mean, it's the eternal. It's it's one of the conundrums that seems to roll around. Certainly, cricket of the last twenty years has been who from the West Indies is going to play. Who are the board fallen out with? Are they going to are, are they going to have some of the world's best players that are just not going to play for international cricket, or are they? Or they might they might play in one tournament but not the next. It's it's like the impossible question. It's it, yeah. It, it's you can't. You just don't know. The between, I mean, the two teams that you'd say in the last twenty years have had the most sort of animosity are them and Pakistan. Like when you just never, you never know what's going to go off. Pakistan, all of a sudden, four guys will be done for match fixing or whatever, and and like whereas the West Indies board might all of a sudden go right, we're sacking seven of them. What what's that? We just won a T Twenty tournament. Yeah. Oh no, you can all go. Yeah. Like you don't. I mean, would we be surprised if for the next series, not a single one of those players were playing? No. Mm. Yeah. Like, I genuinely wouldn't be. In fact, I think I'd probably be more surprised if they rocked up with that exact same <laughs> team, yeah. because because I think you kind of sit there and go, "Yeah, I understand why you're doing that." Mm. So, I think it's yeah, it's still what a win. Been, what a win. Great win. Yeah. Great I mean. Win. Excited to get Matchell on. I know we're, uh, Matchell St. Patrick Hewitt, who's uh, our friend um, from Gorilla Cricket and the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. So we're, we're trying to line Matchell up to come on. He will be I'm really excited. Um, I'm really excited for you to say his name to him in full go without getting it wrong. I'll be I'm quite comfortable with that, Simon. I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what, why don't you do it? And we'll see how that no. goes. No, because <laughs> we'll go on to a Rawls Hacing event again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Race horsing. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he he will be cock a hoop about it, you know. He, he's yeah. you know, and rightly so, rightly yeah, so. 100%, got, absolutely. If you do something like that, something that's never been done before, yeah. like you, you've got every right to go right up in the air. Everything's amazing. Yeah. This is brilliant. Oh, Good. mate, Josh, he did all right as well. He got forty, batted really well in both innings. He got forty odd and twenty, I think. Who's uh, I had a text off him. I said I just texted him, say well done. He was like, yeah, he's gutted he didn't get the nut out, and that kind of shows what he's about. Um, just to I think he fell three runs short or whatever. Um, but yeah, good to see him put up another a good showing for himself. Um, talking of Pakistan, as Simon just mentioned it there, they have again Eugene uh, turn away now. Um, they they have beaten South Africa uh, and have now leapfrogged them in the test rankings. Pakistan up to number five, South Africa down to number six. Um, some of your big guns didn't really fire, Eugene, with the bat. Yeah, you know, seems to be the, the old added story of um, South Africa's middle order just not scoring any runs. Um, 
it looked really good at the end of day four with, an, again, a good amount of runs from Van der Dissen and Markram. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, unfortunately, you know, Faf and de Kock um, didn't score any runs again. I think between the two of them, they maybe scored 30, 40, maybe 50 runs between the two of them in, in two innings or four innings between them. Um, but, yeah, look, you know, you can't take away from what Pakistan have done there. Um, you know, first test series back in Pakistan, great win for them. Um, you know, great to see cricket in Pakistan at, um, at, at the, you know, at one of the iconic stadiums. Yeah. And yeah, good luck to them. You know, um, I, I hear, well, I've, I've sort of got an inclination that Pakistan might be doing a return fixture to Cape to, to South Africa, taking over, um, Australia's spot. I know there's talk of it in right. the media. So yeah. whether or not there's any truth, believe what you read. Uh, yeah, that would think, be nice to see. I think, um, yeah, you're quite right. Pakistan, it's, it's amazing. I, I I feel a bit sorry for the South African lads, though, because, you know, I don't think anyone who's in that current squad of any of the formats that they're going to go and play out there, none of those guys will have played cricket in Pakistan before. So it's kind of a bit of a hiding to nothing for them. You know, obviously, the the top three have done pretty well consistently in both tests, um, and the other lads have struggled. But, I mean, there's probably only Faf, who, and he's probably still not been around long enough to have played in Pakistan, considering how long it has been between... Uh, international fixtures over there, yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, you know that that's interesting, and it, and they are you know very different conditions to what even UAE, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, look, it's great to see Pakistan back on the map. Um, you know, it's again to say shame for their fans that they're not able to go in and and witness it, but because uh, we, you know, the Pakistan fans are, are wonderful fans uh, and and follow their team, you know, fantastically well all over the world. Um, T10 Northern Warriors. Against the Delhi Bulls, um, Delhi Bulls were eighty-one for nine um, in the final. Didn't really turn up, considering how many big guns they've got. And um, the Northern Warriors, who went into it very much as underdogs, um, came out having won the tournament, which is um, you know, it's, I, I found it quite entertaining at times. It is very much hit and giggle cricket, isn't it? It's just try and blast it as far as you can. Um, Wayne Parnell got a hat trick and then was left out for the final. Uh, Odd, odd choice, um, um, but uh, yeah, look, it's it's an interesting tournament. I think these things are going to get bigger and bigger, um, but uh, but yeah, Northern Warriors went on to win that. Um, close to home, uh, Vitality Blast, Royal London One Day Cup, and County Championship fixtures have been announced this week, um, which is exciting. It seems like um, I don't know whether the pro teams have been vaccinated because I, I can't remember who it was. <laughs> But there was a story in the press the other day about there were some spare vaccinations available at a doctor's surgery in one particular area. And for some reason, they phoned the football club and said, we've got these spare vaccinations. Do you and the lads want to come down and do it? And then apparently they all started getting death threats because this kind of story got out. Um, So it's great that all these fixtures have been announced. Looks like they're going to look to go ahead with a full season. But I don't know how that's going to work in terms of vaccinations and stuff, because the lads certainly won't have been, they won't have been their turn on the list. Um, you know, unless Gareth Batty, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Most coaching staff still have Adam. Um, yeah. yeah. 
the coaches can get around it. Yeah, um, I think there's enough time. You know, what we've done, 12.5 million uh, vaccinations to date. I saw something in the press today that yeah. anybody over a certain age can now voluntarily go and get it yeah. done, so you don't need to be in, invited anymore. Um, but saying that, you know, I mean, the fixtures for the T20 Blast start in June. The yeah. Royal London One Day Cup is in July. <coughs> Obviously, the LV um, Championship, that starts, well, the first April, week of April. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's full well, freezing. Yeah, exactly. yeah, nine for again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, look, I, I think the bubbles, It's gonna we're going to go back to bubbles and people are going to get tested beyond belief, you know, 20 tests a day, checking everything. If you're unfortunately test positive, you dropped, you know, it's not going to be based on on – it's not going to be based on performances. It's going to be based on who's available to play. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, I think the um, I was talking to one of the Woodstock pros the other day. He was saying that they're still being tested twice a week at the moment. Hmm. So um, you know, and they're still being ultra careful, which is obviously the right thing. So if you're going to go into a dressing room environment, even if you've not got the support staff of the England Test side, you've still got you know probably between five and ten support staff with you. Uh, hmm. So therefore, including you know, subs and what have you, there's probably 25 people yeah. at least in any one spot at any one time. And so it is vital that they, they kind of try and do keep a lid on it um, to make sure it's as safe as possible. I suppose from my point of view, you know, you've got to look at the way that the stadiums are busy marketing and advertising tickets to be sold. Yeah. Mm. You know, England's got a full summer. I've seen a both full the summer. Lords... It's well, overflowing the English summer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, the Oval and um, and Lords have both, uh, well, I'm on their mailing list, both contacted saying, you know, there's tickets available for purchase mm. on the T20s. and yeah. the so, so, look, you know, it's looking positive from that point of view. Um, obviously, there's a lot that can happen between now and then with, um, with you know, different different things. I was going to say, that's, that's quite interesting. Is that based on, is that a commercial decision to do that? Yeah. It's, that's not that's nothing to do with thinking we're necessarily going to get, you know, because they no. they've no idea so, whether we're going to fulfil all the fixtures. But that's trying to it's, protect it's themselves. Them, it's them covering the backs, isn't it? Yeah. It's them saying, right, yeah, okay, because if we all do, we'll, say, yeah. yeah, all they'll say is if you bought a ticket, you can use it for this game. Mm, yeah, or like it's it's about at the end of the day. Last year, most sort of county teams got absolutely flogged. When it came to revenue and everything that was going with it, so they're now going right. Can can we just try and make some money? Yeah, Look, you, you've got a plan for the you've got a plan for the positive outcome. You have to. You yeah, know, yeah, the last absolutely. thing you want is in the last week trying to sell you know ten thousand tickets or whatever they're going to limit the capacity of the stadium to. You'd mm. rather plan for the future. I know. Looking at club cricket, we're doing that. I'm sure you guys too at Pepperwick. You know, we're, mm. we're we're planning for a full summer we're planning you know that we're still going to do our summer camps they're still going to be training they're still going to be all covid compliant and making sure that we follow the guidelines but you've got a plan for it mm. yeah. yeah i think the I was, um... talking, I was talking to a mate of mine who's a coach at gloucester um and, and he was saying they're, they're back in they can only do one-on-ones but they're back in and every player's got and they're on rotors and whatever so yeah yeah like... i think uh, I, this same pro i was talking to um I was asking him about what, so he, he's um, club captain at a county um, and he was talking me through the, the kind of difference in revenue that a small, not a smaller county, but some a county that doesn't, that isn't a Lancashire or a Nottinghamshire or a Surrey or a Middlesex, or whatever, the difference in revenue that these guys generate through conferencing and you know, test matches and whatever, and, you know, the the money available to these, you know, the 
the the counties that are on the international circuit is just yeah massive comparable comparatively to uh, those that don't. Um, so right, well there we go. That is this week in cricket. Um, just before we go into the interview, uh, just a quick pit on the interview. Um, this week we've gone slightly away from cricket. We've got a cricket lover. Um, he is someone who's played international football for Ireland. He's played Premier League cricket. He's played Championship cricket. He's played, uh, sorry, football, uh, Premier League football. He's played uh, League One and League Two as he was coming up. Um, and then decided that he didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, it's an amazing story. Uh, he's gone on to do something completely different with his life. Um, but yeah, so before we before we go into the interview with JTab. Um, you will hear, uh, obviously, the, the um, advert we play out for the Lord's Taverners every week. Please don't forget that uh, to donate £3, you can text TABS11 to 70331. Uh, we know a load of you have done it so far. If you haven't, please, uh, please support the charity. Uh, they're all about offering uh, kids less advantaged than us, either physically or uh, financially, a sporting chance in life. Uh, and for those of you that can, I would implore you, please, uh, to give up, well, two-thirds of a pint, um, especially if you live in London, uh, to, to try and help these kids out. So uh, you will next hear a note from Lord's Taverners, and then you will hear our brilliant interview we did with JTAB. The Lord's Taverners is the UK's leading youth cricket and disability sports charity. We break down barriers and empower disadvantaged and disabled young people to fulfil their potential and build life skills. Our cricket programmes support some of the most marginalised and at-risk young people in the UK, using sport and recreation to build links and encouraging groups to play sport together. We tackle issues such as knife crime, unemployment, radicalisation and also isolation, something we are all feeling right now. Last year, our programmes impacted the lives of more than 12,000 young people and, with your support, will help even more in the future. Find out more and make a donation at lordstaverners.org and help us to continue our life-changing work. Thank you. Um, thank you, as always, to our charity partners, the Lords Taverners. This week, I am incredibly excited to say um, we have international Premier League Championship, League One and League Two footballer, now jockey in training, Jay Tab joining us. Evening, Jay. How are you, mate? Evening, John. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, very well, mate. Very well. Uh, thank you so much to agreeing to uh, come on and talk to us tonight. We've got plenty to discuss with you. Um, football, horse racing and your, obviously your current career, uh, everything that's got in between that um, and a bit of personal mental health-based stuff too. Um, I want to start off... I was having a look through your stats before. Like we've known each other a few years now, and I've never ever looked at you as Jay the footballer. You've just always been Jay. Um, but looking through your career, your football career, you literally played at every level of professional football, didn't you? League two, League one, Championship, Premiership. Um, gutted that I know you you were on the bench a couple of times for the full international side. You had a really good under twenty threes and under twenty ones uh, career with Ireland, but never actually managed to to get on the pitch. For the full international side, does that yeah. does that niggle at all post career? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, as you said, yeah, I was very lucky. I, I was quite happy with uh, the career I had and what I achieved. And I think any any time you get to play in the Premiership, the highest league, is, it's, a, it's a great achievement as well. And I was lucky enough to have a season in that. Um, yeah, just I, it would have been great to get a full cap for the, for Ireland, but 
Um, so I was I was on the bench once, and it was away against Cyprus, and they lost five one. So I'm quite in a way I'm, I'm quite glad that that wasn't the game that I got. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think I had ten under twenty one caps and stuff like that. So yeah, it was, it was a good experience, and I travelled away with the senior side a few times and got to train with all the, all the big names there. So that was a good experience. Yeah. How do the um, different levels compare in terms of you know as someone who's played across all of these different levels? Is it you know, the most obvious one would be fitness, but are there other, you know, is it touch? Is it, what What are the main kind of key differences between the uh, different levels? I think as you go up the leagues, there's not a huge difference. I think the top six or seven teams in each league, there is a there is a bit of a difference. But so obviously when you get promoted from the championship to the premiership, um, you know, like the top teams there, you can tell they're, they're head and shoulders above everyone else. But the rest are quite evenly matched and it, a lot of it goes down to a bit of luck and, um, you yeah, know, being in the right place at the right time. Um but yeah, I've seen the, the, the kind of top teams. Like when you play against teams like Man City, Man United, and that, they just everything about them is just so high class. Um, and yeah, fitness is one of them as well. Slightly disappointed that you said Man City before Man United there, but I'll let that slide as you're afraid. Out, sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Completely understandable. Completely understandable. <laughs> um, you come across as quite like a shy, unassuming type of bloke, and football seems to be a kind of world where. There's very few people like that that kind of make it out there and to the levels that you did. Um, how did you go about sort of broaching that? Or when you're on the football pitch, are you, were you very different and found a way to kind of uh, broach yeah. that masculinity? Yeah, I suppose it was really. I just keep myself to myself. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's kind of half and half. You get half of the players you play with or play against are what you kind of see in the media and on TV and what you'd expect. And the, the rest are very different and lead different lives as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, I just used to keep my head down, and I'd never tried to never argue with the manager or answer back and stuff like that. So sometimes that like, stands against you because if, if you get dropped and you just accept it and take it on the chin, then you become easy to leave out. So I just used to always just get on with it and always look at it on the side of being very lucky to be doing what I was doing rather than being hard done by just because I wasn't playing. Who was your favourite manager? Because you played under some great managers. Uh, yeah. You know. Um, quite a tough one to answer, you know, because I I was very lucky. Like every manager I played for, got on really well with, and they all helped me out in my career in different ways. So it would be really would be unfair to um, to single one out because they were they were all great. Um, so yeah, so I had Mick McCarthy, Chris Coleman, Ian Dowie, Steve Coppel, Martin Allen. Um, wow. Yeah, so a lot of good managers. Some serious names there as yeah. well, isn't there? Like... Exactly. Yeah, Steve Stornham was the island manager, and he he was running called me up into the squad there. Um, then Wally Downs, he was manager at Brentford. He gave me my debut. Um, yeah, it's so, like so, so lucky. I'm probably trying to think of like, Mickey Adams at, at Coventry as well. Um, so yeah, I was, I was I was very lucky there. Um, and then Brian McDermott at Reading, Brendan Rogers as well. So yeah, I, I was lucky. I played under yeah a lot of good managers. It's like a roll call of amazing <laughs> yeah. ex-footballers and like brilliant managers. The list of managers um, I got the sack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, before I know Eugene wants to ask you about a particular story, but. Yes. You're described as like diminutive, which is another word for people saying, "Oh, he might be too short to play." And you were obviously released, uh, I think, from Palace, weren't you, at 16? Um, yeah. What was the, you know? But obviously, you then then went on to completely disprove that through, I guess, a mixture of grit, determination, and hard work. Yeah. Um, did did you feel that you had to prove doubters wrong in terms of you know height isn't everything, and it, you know as a, a kind of midfielder. It's that, I mean, Gareth Batty wasn't a particularly tall bloke, but he, he, he was hard as nails and what have you. But yeah. the, did you feel like you had to add something extra to your game to kind of prove those doubters wrong? Or was it just that magic left foot? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I always think that when people say you're too small, it's just just an excuse to say you're not good enough, really, because there's plenty of players out there who are small and make it. Um, like two, my two of my favourite players growing up were Dennis Wise and Gianfranco Zola, and they're both very small as well. Yeah. Like one of the best players in the world, Lionel Messi, um, like Maradona, like so many small players out there. So I think it's just it is an easy option just to say you're too small and you're not going to make it physically. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose I mean, sometimes it works in your advantage. Like, People don't expect you, if you're short, expect you to be good in the air, but that was probably something I was actually quite good at. I had quite a good leap on me in one of my fair share headers. So, um, but no, I wouldn't say I kind of felt like I had to do more because I was shorter than everyone else. I just, I just always get stuck in. It was always the way I used to play anyway. I can't imagine you being angry for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it's like... <laughs> yeah, I've been in my a few times. <laughs> good lad. Yeah, like especially I got I got sent off as a sub in the tunnel at Wembley. Um, actually one Did of you guys, really? Yeah, one of the guys at work was asking me about that today. So I got you can get it on YouTube. You can see it. Um, yeah, and I used to watch you calm, but we were 3-0 down in the playoff final. I think the ref had given them two penalties and he was just having a shocker. And um, yeah, I had a guy to pop at him in the tunnel at half-time. And he, he warned me not to do it again. So obviously I did, and got sent off. <laughs> Brilliant, love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you've mentioned that because that was going to be one of the final <laughs> questions later. <laughs> and, um, that, I've, I've, that was that was the one I dived off on because I thought he's definitely going to remember his yeah. one red card <laughs> having not been on the pitch. So. <laughs> Obviously, you've having played um, throughout the leagues. Um, Brentford was one of the clubs that you played for, which is quite close to my home cricket club, which is Twickenham. Um, we, we've got a close affiliation with a number of people that currently work at Brentford. Yeah. Um, they mentioned to me um, on a WhatsApp group last night that um, you were away at a, at a game when I forget the name of the club off the top of my head, and you actually jumped into the crowd. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, about what what the story was behind that? Yeah, I do. I remember that game well. It was, um, we were playing Wickham away, and uh, it was actually Tony Adams' first ever game as manager of Wickham. Um, and the Brentford, a group of Brentford fans, so I think they was, must have been raising money for charity. They, they decided to walk from Brentford to Wickham to the game. So I, I don't know, they must have left the morning before, I'd imagine. It's not like that. I'm not too sure how long it take. Um, but yeah, we played away and I was sub, actually. And I, I came on for the last 10 minutes, I think it was. Uh, and yeah, scored the winner, literally the last kick of the game, header at the back post and uh, scored the winner. So, and it's right in front of the Brentford fans and they just erupted and went mad. Um, and yes, yeah, so I just... Did what's natural, jumped into the crowd. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're not allowed to do it. You get in a lot of trouble for it because it is obviously dangerous. So, um, but you, your emotions take over because you can imagine if there's a family sitting in the front row and and you jump in and all the rest of them behind behind them pile down. It's quite dangerous. So probably not yeah. something to do. But uh, yeah, you just you, you kind of emotions take over really, and uh, you jumped in. So wouldn't mind seeing it again. I don't know if it's out there anywhere, but it was quite fun. The the buzz of scoring. Like yeah. at that, at any kind of professional in front of fans, and we'll come on to yeah. fans in, in more in the horse racing bit later on. But like, what can you even begin to describe what that you know last kick of the game or last header of the game to win your side a game, yeah. whether it's a, just a normal league fixture or whatever? The absolute surge of adrenaline that must go through your body at that point—it must be like an out-of-body experience, right? Yeah, because you, you never know when it's going to happen, because like, you're not expecting it. So it's different, I suppose, if you're a striker who scores 30 a season, you kind of know you're going to get a good chance to score every game. But I, I think the most I scored in the season might have been 12 when I was playing for Brentford, and then it gradually went down as I got older. And then, um, <laughs> but yeah, you never know when it's going to happen, really. So it's, it's some buzz, and then, and when it does, and first thing you hear is that roar and it does it just takes over for a bit I imagine it's probably similar to cricket like if you're a, 
and if you hit a boundary for your 50 or for your 100 like it's just that that kind of that buzz but then I suppose you kind of know that's coming don't you um, I've only ever done that in front of three men and a, three men and a dog, mate. To be honest, yeah. it's, a, it's right. slightly different than the level we play. That's the level you played football. Right? Yeah, no, it is. It's done buzz, and even now, every now and then, I go back on YouTube and have a look at a few goals I scored when I was playing, just to um, make myself feel good, really. But uh, yes, yeah, it is. It is. It's some buzz. I must admit. I love the reaction of stewards when someone does like get close yeah. to the crowd. I think that for me is one of the highlights of because stewards can be anything from 120 <laughs> years old that have been doing it for God knows how long to like a 17 yeah. year old lad and just the difference in reactions yeah. when someone goes in. You always get one that like feels like a <laughs> bouncer that wants to drag and like suplex the player out of the crowd yeah. or something. Yeah, it's pretty dangerous for them as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most of them are just fans <laughs> of my free ticket on as our stewards. Just happen to know that 132F is over there. Um, you uh, you left the game on your own terms, which is obviously quite a good thing to say you did, and and that kind of thing. Was that a decision that came to you like over time, or is it something you just knew that you're like, right, I've had enough? Yeah, pretty much. That's what it was. I was, I was 32. I was kind of thinking about it um, during the season. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm just not enjoying this anymore. Um, I, I think you always enjoy match days, but I just wasn't enjoying going to training every day. Um, I, I wasn't playing really, but so I was travelling around and. I think when you kind of get to the stage where you're like, oh, I just don't want to do this anymore, it's probably, I just thought, oh, you know, life's too short, there's other stuff I want to go and do as well. Um, so I was, I was playing in the Championship, uh, playing for Ipswich at the time as well. And I think my, one of my last games was uh, playing in the League Cup away at Man United as well, Old Trafford. So I was like, you know what, it's not, not a bad place to call it a day. I mean, that was, that was my last game was, was at Old Trafford, so um, yeah, and I just thought, you know, life is too short. I want to go and do something else. I've got other interests I want to do, um, and I, I don't want to be, don't want to be kind of regretting carrying on and finishing on a um, sour note. Really, I wanted to go out feeling good about it, and, and that's kind of what I did. With the um, with, with that, it's always interested me, like professional footballers, and obviously the media play a big part in this, but. They say that there are footballers who are happy to sit on a bench, just earn their money, and just keep a seat warm and whatever. But I mean, for, as a professional footballer yourself, mm. do, is that ever a mentality, or does every professional footballer want to play every minute that they possibly can? No, it's definitely a mentality. I'd be lying if I said I didn't do that as well. My last season, I was, I was just yeah, I just happily turn up, sit there. Like the man, uh, Mick McCarthy actually came up to me and said, "Look, you can go out on loan if you want." Um, and there was, I think there was a few months left of the season and I just had enough of actually playing football at the time. I was like, I've got no interest in going out on loan. So I, I, was, I was actually quite happy there. Even though I weren't playing, I was living in a nice place in Suffolk. I was a member at the Ipswich Golf Club, which you probably know, John, if you played yeah, at Suffolk. Yeah. So I was kind of, it sounds bad, but I was getting paid to go training and then go and play golf. And then, and then, no wonder you're so good. <laughs> I just, I don't know. It doesn't sound bad. It sounds ideal. Like no, I'm, I'm happy to stay. It sounds bad because like the fans are paying him wages at the end of the day, and um, but yeah, I, I was just I was just happy to sit there and get my, get my wage. Um, but I think that I think that's just something you get in. You kind of get into a rut like that because whenever you do play, then you get that buzz back and that hunger again. But mm. I think if you're not playing, you just sit there and you're like, oh, there's not much I can do about it. So I might as well just must enjoy it. And I always tried hard in training and stuff like that. But yeah, my last year, I was just. Going along for the ride, really, and that's what made me think oh, I don't want to be doing that again. I think it's amazing that level of honesty. To to be quite honest, I, I don't think that 
you know, it'd be very unusual for fans to have heard someone who's played at that level to to actually come out and openly say, well, you know, I did coast a little bit towards the end. There'd be times where you'd be sub and there'd be 20 minutes to go and like the manager say, I'll go and warm up. I'll be like, oh, really? Like, no, no. <laughs> there we go. I'd say there'd be a lot of players in a minute as well and you'd be like, quite happy because obviously you've got seven subs, uh, only three can come on. So yeah. like, even if sometimes you be named sub and you look around the bench and go, well, I'm not getting on today. So um, what's, yeah, what's the <laughs> uh, bad way to be. Um, but yeah, but then saying that, like, 100% say as well, whenever I did play, I never I never had that mentality when I actually got on the pitch. As soon as you come on, you switch on then and you get back yeah, in. Yeah. There are times when you're sitting there and thinking, yeah, I'm happy just to sit here today and get on the coach and go home, get paid the same amount of money. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was going to be my kind of question. Do you think I've... So I used to play uh, professional cricket and um, one of my mates came up to me after I'd been in the job. I saw my first contract. I was about three months in and someone asked me, has it become a job yet? And I was, I didn't really get what he meant. But then like, you do get to a point where it's a way of earning money. It's a way of getting what you want to out of it. Do you think that was put, that kind of leads to that where you just felt, oh, I'm getting paid. Like I'll do what they want as yeah, long as I'm getting paid. Much, yeah, you do think that. And I think especially if, if you're actually trying hard and, and you do try hard in training and you still don't play, then you kind of do you kind of do things so well, almost like sod you then I can't do any more. Like yeah. you, can't, you can't pick yourself at the end of the day, the manager has to pick the team and I've never had any qualms about not playing really. Um I always think if the manager I say the managers I listed off there, I always think they generally did pick the team they thought was best and if I wasn't in that eleven then that's just because that's that's the way they were thinking at the time. So yeah, you just have to respect their decision. Um, yeah, but as you said there, yeah, it does become it is, it is a job at the end of the day. You get paid paid for it, and you're just very lucky to be playing sport mm. as a job. Did you so at that at any point did you start to resent it? Like you know, did, at what point for you did it? Because obviously you grew up as a you know at school being the best footballer at school and whatever. But I'm sure by some distance because very few people make it to the level you did. But yeah. at, at what point did you actually? Because there must have been a day where you like actually. You know, I love this, but this is now my job, and I have a responsibility to kind of do well. The same as Simon went through. But at what at what point did you start to resent the game? Yeah, probably the last couple of years, I'd say. Really, um, just because I, I wasn't wasn't enjoying actually playing. If you know what I mean, like you know, when you like if I go and play cricket now or golf, and you love you, you wake up, you're buzzing to play. You really want to enjoy it, but I wasn't actually. Um, it wasn't. I wasn't enjoying actually playing football. Like even now. I would not want to go and play football. You know? I don't think about it because when I was a kid, I loved it. Like it was the best sport in the world. Um, used to stay up as late as I could to try and watch a match of the day. Um, even when I was in the youth team and when I was in my early twenties, like just football obsessed. And then she just got old. I think he just kind of fell out of love with it. Really, just done it for too long and needed a change. Um, but as I say, even if I wasn't enjoying playing, I always you have to respect the fans. The fans are there and they love it. So I'd always give my all. I never went off. Never, hundred percent say I never sacked it off on the pitch and gave up on the pitch. Like, I might not have been enjoying myself out there, but I always tried hard. So, um, no fair play. Yeah. Talking, talking of that change, uh, it brings us very nicely onto your current career. Yeah. Um, so from football to cleaning horses' feet and mucking out of stables is yeah. probably something that, you know, it's obviously a, a hell of a change in career path and, and something that, you know, I don't know whether it's ever been done before. You might be kind of paving the way for footballers for many years who've got an interest in it, but... The story goes that you, you had a teammate who originally kind of put it, put the horse racing on after training, and that's what kind of bit you, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I signed for Coventry, 
uh, and like, a few days after signing for me, he went on a um, pre-season tour, and I was just get, get paired up with my roommate, and I was with a young a lad who was a few years younger than me called Ben Turner, um, and I didn't realise he was younger because he was made about six foot four and built like a Spartan warrior, was massive. <laughs> and I found out I was I think I was twenty two and he was only eighteen nineteen at the time. Anyway, yeah, we we got we like clicked straight away, got on really well, and then one day we were just sitting there after training, and he said, "Oh, do you mind if I put a horse racing on?" I was like, "Yeah, mate, go for it." Yeah, and then so I was watching in the room with him. And he started explaining it to me, uh, and yeah, got got hooked pretty much straight away. Um, and then, uh, like one of my best mates liked horse racing as well, so kind of went from not watching it to almost watching it every day and, and getting really into it. What is the difference if you can talk about from a professional career from football, where you're training every day and you're you're making sure that you know mentally, physically, you're a, you're an elite athlete, to now the job that you currently do? How different is it? Is it the same sort of process that you go through or is it completely different? Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd say a lot of like, professional sports are very similar and you have to be, your, your time is dedicated to that job. Um, and yeah, you, you could say you can't just take holiday when you want. You have to be there for look, like, the, the team really and, and you're looking after the horses. And I love to even at the moment, the racing's still going ahead. So we're pretty much working as normal really, even though there's no crowds at the racing. It's still the same races going ahead. So the horses need to be fit and looked after. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar in the fact that you're, Trying to get a professional, well, say in other sport, professional athlete, and now then you get an animal ready to be at its peak form to, to go and perform. Um, so yeah, it's very similar in ways like that, and it, it's say very it's, it's time consuming, um, but a lot more so than football. But it's, it's more kind of around the, the weekends and when when the sport's at its highest level, that's when you have to be kind of on the game, and it's more so for the jockeys really. But yeah, I mean, as stable staff, we work very long hours and work really hard. So you're talking about hours and stuff. I mean, yeah. what is actually involved? What is your day-to-day, you know, can, can you give us an insight as to what you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so uh, I try and get there for about six-ish. Um, so again, for six, and then I've got four horses that I look after myself. So I go in, uh, muck them out, give them new beds straight away, like clean their waters and stuff like that. Um, and then you have to make sure they've got hay outside the stable ready for later on in the day. Then you go and we have a board in our tap room, so you go and look at the horses you're riding. And most days it's the same horses you're riding as well, so you kind of know what you're doing. Um, get your tap ready, go and go and tap the horse up, and then if you're lucky enough, you can have like a quick coffee for ten minutes. And then we pull out and go and do first lot at, is at twenty to eight. And then from then on, it's just yeah, you ride, you ride usually four or five horses a day. Stop for breakfast at ten for just half hour, quick cup of tea or something like that. Um, finish the morning at about one o'clock. Uh, make sure the yard's swept and tidy. Uh, have a couple of hours off, come back in at three, and then just yeah, brush the horses off, tidy their beds up again, feed them, uh, make sure they're okay, and leave at five. So yes, yeah, it's, it's a long day, and it's the only time that you're on, when you're on the horse. So I know that one of your big things is that you know, um, like making weight. So that yeah. I mean, just so just so everybody who's listening to this has got an awareness of it. Like even as a, a stable hand, or like you have to make weight in order to be able to ride the horses because these guys are. Like the Usain Bolts of the, the horse riding, you know, the horse racing world, right? So yeah. they're, they're not just going to. I mean, there is no way myself, Simon, or Eugene would be allowed anywhere near one of these things. But yeah. it's it's quite it's a hugely important thing, right, for you to stay fit. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's more so when I went to the racing school to um, to like train to be a stable lad. Uh, they had a weight limit of eleven stone, which is like ready to ride. Um, bear in mind, when I was playing football, I was probably about twelve and a half. And then when I finished playing, it went up a little bit. Obviously, it was probably near near thirteen. Uh, so I, I did. Uh, but when I decided what I wanted to go to the racing college, I had to lose two stone in about three or four months to make sure I could go on the course. Uh, now it's. I mean, we don't get weighed now because uh, it's different at jump yards. I think if you work for a flat yard like Aidan O'Brien or someone like that, then they, they do weigh you, make sure you're the right weight. 
but here um, where I am lucky enough <laughs> I don't weigh so I'm, I think I'm about 12 stone now so I'd be, I'd, I'd be the heaviest lad there by quite a way um, it's all- positively <laughs> massive Jay positively <laughs> massive <laughs> I mean, when, you, when you're working yeah. with like say there's a lot of jockeys and and, that, and it's mainly a younger guy's job as well so a lot of the lads are between and the, and the girls who work there as well they're all between 16 and mid 20s really so they're all a bit they're all a, a lot lighter um, but so yeah but I'm, also, I'm working with and I live with a jockey as well so I see the kind of pressures they go through to make the weight and it does you pre- make you appreciate the kind of how, how, like how hard it is for them um, but yeah I, I do actually still have to watch my weight because I, I love my food and drink and if I didn't then you know I'd be, I'd be too heavy to ride <laughs> you mentioned there about how the racing still on and stuff during covid and, and whatnot um, has it limited like contact with the horses and have you had to change the way that you train them and uh, like how's all that worked i did at the start obviously when this all first happened um we had we, we was kind of, well, not lucky but it was towards the end of the jump season so we kind of just like row it off and then the horses went out for their kind of summer holidays really a bit just a bit earlier um and then there's a few of us stayed in to keep, keep training the summer horses um so yeah we did we were kind of obviously had to do social distance and that it's a bit more different. It's a bit different now because oh, it's just hard when you've got that many people working at a yard. You are going to be bumping each other all the time. But obviously, we do try and be careful. Um, but yeah, a day-to-day running it hasn't changed much. But it's just if you go racing, um, obviously all the checks you have to do when you get there as well, um, temperature taken and stuff like that, and you have to stay out of the way of all the other yards that are there as well as best you can. Um, but yeah, there's no crowds. And to be fair, I've said to our, like, our, our boss is quite good, and I've said I don't, I don't really want to go racing if there's if there's no crowd there because it sounds bad, but there's no buzz. Mm. Um, so like last year, I was lucky enough. I led a horse up at the Cheltenham Festival. Um, I had another horse I took to the to the Betfair Hurdle, and it's just such a buzz there, the crowds. And to do it this season, I've been racing once this year, and it's just so weird. It's like it's almost like a pre-season friendly mm. in any other sport. Uh, there's no one there, right, so it's, it's quite hard, but. I suppose it's, it's keeping the sport going, which is in a, in a way that, in another way, is is quite hard to see. I was going to um, I, I was going to ask you about the the crowds and, and the difference that makes. I imagine, funnily enough, I was watching. I think Cheltenham, and I think I texted you as you were like walking this horse around the parade ring, yeah. and just not expecting you to pick your phone out of your pocket and like text me back while you were on TV. But yeah, um, yeah I mean the, these. Having been to, you know, I quite enjoy a day at the races, but they're obviously such vast um, environments. Obviously, you've got the grandstand and whatever, but it's such a big open space that with no one there other than horses, jockeys, trainers, and the people who are actually running the the race course itself, it must be quite an eerie place to be because they're designed to have thousands of people there. Yeah, definitely. I've spoke to a couple of lads here, the jockeys, and they said when they go racing, it's weird, especially... So it's not so much at your kind of midweek meetings at the smaller tracks, but obviously Cheltenham's been on a couple of times this year, and they just said it's so weird there because, say, like the festival is such such an amazing place to be. And I've been there as a fan, and lucky enough, I've been there now leading the horse up. And say last year I took Oakley there, and it was just the best day ever because you, you do feel proud bringing leading your horse round because you know there's loads of people looking in and talking about your horse and talking stuff like that, and you do feel proud to lead a horse up. Um, and I just think at the moment it's probably. You say that that buzz isn't there anymore, um, which is a real shame. You owe me a few quid for that actually, because <laughs> I backed him because you were walking around the ring and he. <laughs> yeah, he, he I think he ran. He ran all right. He came at halfway. He's, he's nice. He's actually he runs well. Every time he runs, he, he does run well. He's always there. He was in a good spot actually. I remember yeah. coming coming on late. He, he yeah. was uh, yeah. He was in a good spot. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, then big handicaps at Cheltenham. You need so much so much luck. You know, you could run that race ten times and have ten different winners. You just need to be in the right place, at the right time, and 
uh, need to be your day. But yeah, I say it was, it was such a buzz to lead up there because I've been to the festival loads of times as a fan. Um, and you do, you go down to the parade ring, you watch the horses walk around and um, you do think, oh, cool, that'd be good, that'd be cool to do that. And I was lucky enough to get a chance to do it myself. It is a special, special place to go. I've been to the Gold Cup there a few times as a lad that normally runs a bus trip from Anna Killerwoods. And you, all five are all on the bus and we're in Cheltenham by eight o'clock and it's just <laughs> absolutely like mayhem. Absolutely. It's a brilliant, yeah. brilliant day. Um, what, what did football teach you that you've taken into horse racing? Um, I'd say professionalism, really. Um, I think when you, any, if you're doing a sport at that kind of high level, like obviously um, it's different because we're not riding horses in races, you're just working with them and looking after them and helping to train them. Um, but yeah, you do have to be professional and uh, attention to detail as well. And, and you do have to, you have to put everything into it, I think. Because um, it, it is a hard job that you get in. And I mean, because we, like, we don't all have to be at the same time. You get paid from a certain, certain time in the morning, but... Uh, some of us quicker than others are getting things done and I'm one, I'm one of the slow ones and a bit older and I'm not as fast as the others so I do get a bit earlier just to make sure I'm ready on time um, and yeah you just have to you have to, you have to care as well um, and, and I think football it, it teaches you discipline and you, you know yourself if if you, if you don't prepare right then you, you don't really perform yeah. um, I think it's probably the same in, in all sports really um, the, Moving on to kind of more, more of your personal life now Um the first time we ever met was at Wimbledon Cricket Club years and years ago. And I don't think, we talked about this off air earlier, like I don't think either of us realised. I know we had, we had a chat and a, a beer after the game, but I remember our side batting. I was probably out early doors. I remember watching from the sidelines going, who the fuck's this kid? He's moving quick. He's moving quicker than I've ever seen anybody move in my life. Because like those had absolutely smoke it to the boundary, think it was a certain four, and then all of a sudden they end up trotting one because the Premier League footballer <laughs> is is moving like he's got a flame coming out of his backside, like tear arsing around the pitch. Um, I mean, you love you love cricket, right? Yeah. And it, but and you but you love fielding. Yeah, yeah, well, it's true. Yeah, I mean. That was uh, my, one of my lads I went to school with. Um, his his dad and his family they came out. They just had like, a roam inside on Sunday, so just a bit of fun, really. All different levels of cricketers playing. It was, it was all good fun. Um, so you turn up on Sunday and say we're playing against Wimbledon. You could have first team players playing, or and you could have like you know players just there for a bit of fun on a Sunday as well. So it's just something different. And in the off season, keep me kind of a little bit fit and something to do on the weekends or something to get bored and yeah I, I say I do love cricket but I say one of the one of the rules is so I'm not not great not great at batting or bowling so they say right you've got to earn your keep in the field <laughs> <laughs> I just have to run around and try and make an impression <laughs> but, so yeah, I, did I, I love my cricket I still play it now like uh, our assistant trainer he's got a cricket team down here and we play on Thursday evenings after work uh, we start at six uh, just a 2028-2020 match with like one of the local villages, um, a few beers on the side, you know, have a bit of a laugh, and then whoever you're playing, you go to their local pub and have a few beers and something to eat afterwards as well. And it's, it's really nice. Yeah. It's so good. And you can imagine down here in Somerset, some lovely grounds you go to as well. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, 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 it's really cool. Um, but um, the first game I played from, was so embarrassed. I don't, don't even warm up properly, so I'll come on to bowl, and I'm not joking you, I was pitching everything on my toes. It was just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> 
And then lucky enough, I was like, what am I doing? Lucky enough, I came back the next week and I just tried bowling a bit of spin and at least I was actually pitching it probably then. Um, <laughs> they were terrible. Uh, I was, I was felt a bit embarrassed actually. But luckily I took a, a really good catch that game so they invited me back the next week. <laughs> <laughs> good lads. Yeah. Every side needs a few fielders knocking about, especially like, <laughs> yeah. fun cricket, because a lot of people will rock up and not want to be that bothered. And then you're like, that's looking around, going right, who can run around here? Obviously, you just spoke about cricket, and you're quite a good golfer, aren't you? Playoff three, apparently. No, I've, um... he should. He should. I loaded that question on purpose. He should play out three. No, you, I'm all right. Like everyone, you have your good days and bad days. And that's just the most frustrating sport in the world. You can like shoot four or five over one day and then go and shoot 20 over the next. Just right here. I've come off the golf course crying before in our club champs. Like, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, love, I do love golf. And there's a nice course down here. Um, that's just one of the things down here that's probably... There's not, there's not loads of courses around like where I'm from like you, everywhere you look at the courses but here there's, there's not, not too many um, but um, yeah the golf club down there in, uh, in Minehead's actually really nice a links course mm. so I've played that a few times good fun but yeah so it's like everyone I haven't played any golf for ages now so I'm desperate for a game. yeah tell me about it you're also into yeah. rugby aren't you you play at old Wimbledonians with is it your cousins yeah. that all, all yeah so, um, it's my old so yeah I went to Wimbledon College and old Wimbledonians is like the old Kind of old boys for our school really so uh, yeah no a few lads down there so as soon as I always said I used to go and watch them if I didn't have a game of football on Saturday um, or if I didn't travel with the team which is quite often towards the end I'd always go and watch the lads <laughs> and um, they, we used to have a few drinks afterwards in the bar and they always said oh, as soon as you finish the football then you've got to come and play rugby for a season so so I was like yeah I'll do that um, my brother brother plays down there <laughs> uh, my two cousins and a few old school mates as well old school teachers all down there so it's good fun um, first game I played, I ruptured my knee ligaments. I was out for like half a year, so and done my shoulder. But I, I love it. I had one really good season there when we all played together all the time. It was, it was class. Great kicker, great kicker. I used to get so obviously I, I was down there playing cricket, and I got to know Jay. And obviously I've got to give the boys a shout out. So Jay's brother Harry, uh, cousins Jack and Stevie Duggan, and and it was it was like a real family thing. And Dave Doran, who's obviously one of the old. Yeah teachers down there and it was just an amazing place to be but I mean that magic people ma- magic left foot people talk about from your footballing days didn't leave you on the rugby pitch mate I've seen you kick twice uh, yeah I did, I did I could knock it over it's not the best technique but I got the job done <laughs> uh, so thought, uh, Harry's the kicker he's uh, yeah my younger brother he could have with a bit of luck he could have maybe got to the top level you know he's just a bit yeah. lucky. He, played, he played for Wimbledon which is uh, played national national one, I think they mm. played. So that's a pretty good level. Um, yeah, it was just great fun down at Old Wimbledon. Remember when we played that cup game, Jono, and you, we went on the bus to Southampton with Lisa. Yeah, 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 and it was absolutely hammering it down. It's just it should have been called off. Really, it was waterlogged, and we managed to win. And, and we had a great good sing song on the bus on the way back. It's good fun. I can't remember. I can't remember the bus journey back. Lisa, Lisa stayed inside with a couple of the girls. <laughs> I went and stood outside like a drowned rat, just yeah, watching yeah, supporting the boys. Yeah, you did. But yeah, it was uh, no hell of a day. Hell yeah. of a day. That's a good thing about the club. There, you got like the cricket boys come and support the rugby boys, and then vice versa. In the summer, we come and sit on the patio there a few beers and give you a load of abuse. <laughs> 
<laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> you, you talk about your injuries that you had through your rugby career, and obviously some through football. I mean, you know, does that limit to the sport that you can play now in, in your current job? I mean, you know, you got to think about your security, and, and I suppose if you injure yourself and you rupture, you know, a knee or, or break a shoulder or something like that, is that going to limit your what you can do work-wise, or yeah. what's your sort of thought process around that? You know, it's, well, the job to be fair, the job is actually dangerous enough on its own <laughs> without going and playing rugby on a Saturday. I, mean, I, I was kind of half thinking about playing for the local rugby team down here, um, but my shoulder's just in bits, to be honest with you, um, so I wouldn't have been able to do that. Uh, but yeah, it would be a good limit to you, because like, if you turn up, you're going to play rugby on a Saturday, and you turn up and you can't jump on horse on Monday, then you you know that's what you're paid to do, really. So yeah, we, like, it's, it's, it's a dangerous enough job, this as well. Um, so you're on an animal at the end of the day, going 30 mile an hour, if you decide to do something, <laughs> something different. I, I, I've come off pretty hard once and does hurt. So. I was going to say, what sort of injuries do you get from, from falling off a horse? I can imagine it's, it's everything. Bad, bad ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, most, I mean, you... most of the jockeys in races now, it's, I think it's a lot of collarbones. That's what they do. Um, but yeah, just the day-to-day, what we do here, like if you know you kind of fall off and you land, you, you just get a bit uh, bruised up really, nothing too bad. But I was on one horse one day, he was coming around the bend on my gallop and he literally just veered off and ran straight through a wooden railings. Like, I've looked at it since and I think, how has he run through that? I mean, I can't believe a horse would actually run through and knock it all over. And I come flying off and I'm lucky enough you have to wear a lot of protection, so I was all right. A um, little bit bruised, but yeah, it's, it's a bit weird, really, thinking it like that. I mean, the, the, these things are strong, though. I mean, the, these are strong as an ox, these animals, aren't yeah. they? They're, you know, absolute machines. Yeah, and I'd say if one of them kicks you in a stable, you know about it as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, you, you have to wear helmets, I imagine, while you're mucking them out and you're in there with uh, them. And stuff, right? don't, I don't know if we have to do. But when we're mucking them out, no. Uh, most of say 99% of the horses here are all, all lovely horses and really sweet and that. Um, but yeah, when, so when you're riding out, all it takes is a bit of an accident and, and, it could, and you know you can come off pretty hard. Uh, and I've seen yeah. it, like most of us have all come off at some stage or another, and it's not nice to watch because you know, it can be quite bad. When you, um, I know we just touched on family and stuff, and you know, we, we, we your brother Harry and the, and the, the Duggans. Um, you lost your mum a few years back, yeah. um, you know, and she'd obviously seen a lot of your football career and stuff. I'm not sure how much of your current career, if any, that she saw, but I know that I mean, she would be incredibly proud of you, you know, Irish blood and all that, and you know, yeah. massive horse racing uh, love and heritage. Um, how how did you deal with that mentally? I mean, it must it must have been incredibly incredibly tough situation to go through for anybody. Yeah, definitely. Yes, especially wasn't really expected either as well. You know, she got ill and passed away within two months, so never expecting it. It was it was in the same year like she packed in football as well, and I've kind of made my I'd kind of made my mind up. And I spoke to her about it, and she was just like, Look, "Just do what makes you happy." And then as soon as she passed away, I was like, oh, "Do you know what?" life's too short that could happen to me tomorrow and if I'm not doing what I'm doing what I'm doing and do something else and yes yeah, it's, it's hard to take um, but she was 56 you know and in a way you're lucky that you've got that, that time of her some people lose their parents when they're a lot younger and don't get to experience a lot of their life with them and I'm lucky that my mum saw pretty much my whole football career um, she was ill for the last couple of months so she didn't see that but um, yeah so and she was great and she used to take me training all the time she'd always like if I was playing for Ipswich she'd come down my auntie stay for the weekend come to the matches and then go out for dinner and stuff like that after so she got to see all of that which is great um, and so in, in that so in that sense you, you're lucky that you got to spend that much time with your mum so I was, I was 32 when she passed but you know there's people out there who lose their parents when they're still really young or um, so you've always got to sound you know sound bad but you've always got to kind of look on the bright side 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, there's nothing you can do about it now. I can't, no point sitting around moping all the time. So you just got to try and use it as a positive. And one thing, if, if ever I'm having a bad day or feeling sorry for yourself, you do, I just think of my mum and just think, oh, do you know what? It's not that bad. It doesn't matter that much. Whatever, whatever problems you're experiencing that day, you just think, oh, at least I'm still here, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah. like she used to always, she was, she was into the countryside as well. Um, she moved just before she passed away. She actually moved yeah, up yeah. to the countryside. So, um, that was a Gloucestershire way, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I moved down there. Um, so yeah, and it wasn't far from Chepstow Racecourse. So I remember I went to visit him once, and racing was on at Chepstow, so I went to watch that as well. Um, but yeah, she'd she'd love to see what I'm doing now. Um, she's probably a bit scared when she sees that. Here's the stories about falling off. And that. <laughs> um, she's bad enough if someone tackled me too hard playing football. She wouldn't do anything like that. So, if you're <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was reading a uh, there was an article that I read earlier about you in the Guardian. I'd, for some for some reason, I've never seen it before. Uh, but there was a really nice quote from you in it. It was like, if, if your mum, if someone kind of piled through you in a yeah. football game, you're like, don't do that to my baby or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like, it's right, just yeah. a really nice anecdote. Like. Very, very. Um, yeah, say so as you get older, you kind of oh, you just think you can do it all on your own, but you always need your mum around as well. So, um, so yeah, obviously, I miss her, I miss her every day and think of that all the time. But that was the, it's part of life. It happens to us all, unfortunately. So that's probably a little bit deep, but it does. And that's what made me think you just got to kind of enjoy life as much as you can. And your dad's an absolute... Your old man's an absolute boy. He's an absolute trooper. Yeah. Still rocking out on Boxing Day for the yeah. OWs against old Ruts rugby game and stuff. Yeah. He's an absolute yeah. champion. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to. Wouldn't want to mess with him either. I wouldn't want to tackle him. That's Christ <laughs> Almighty! Neither would yeah. I. I'll tell you that for free. Yeah. Um, just before we kind of finish up, what you know, as as you may, I'm I'm proud to see the complete change of career and the commitment that you've put into it and the time and effort you've put into it. What are your ultimate hopes? I already know the answer to this question, but like you know, in terms of what what do you really, really want to achieve? What would be your you know absolute top goal out of horse racing if you could get there? Uh, pretty much, you know what, just to kind of do what I'm doing now. Um, I mean, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, if I could ride in a charity race one day, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, just to, I actually I just enjoy getting on a horse every day. I feel very lucky to do it. Even obviously, I'm not going to lie, when that alarm goes off at five o'clock. First five minutes, I'm like, what am I doing? Especially when I, <laughs> you look outside and the rain's bashing against the window, and you think, oh, I'm going to sit on a horse and get drenched now. Um, but no, I, I do. I generally love it. Like I, I love, I, I love riding horses. So I'd always want to be doing that. Um, and this, that's a good thing. Like once you get to a kind of certain level, you can ride out loads of different places. So I would like to travel around a bit, maybe in a few years' time, and travel the world and see what it's like to. To ride out some other places, like a couple of lads who work here, they used to work in Australia, riding out there and stuff like that. And they said it's an amazing experience. So uh, maybe when once I've kind of improved my riding a bit, I'd like to go out there and experience that, see what it's like. Um, but yeah, just always to be involved involved with horses because I love them, uh, lovely animals, and love working with them, and feel very lucky to be able to ride them. The Australians don't do it properly though, because it's like you have to stand in a car and whip them, don't you, over there? It's like, <laughs> That? That's the trot. They got the Australians don't do anything properly in my book. Yeah. Apart from cheat at cricket, they're good at that. Um. Oh, yeah. I found something. I found something I love doing, and I want to carry on doing it for as, as long as I'm enjoying it. Really, so um, and say so, like the stable lads and lasses. We're lucky enough we get to ride the horses every day without the pressure of having to ride them in races. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Huh? Yeah, I've lived with like one of the lads, the jockeys here now for nearly two years. And, Seeing the things he has to go through to, you know, just the travelling. Like, you have to be up, ride horses out in our yard, then travel, you know, halfway across the country for maybe just one ride. Um, and if he's, and, you know, he could be carrying 10 stone 12 one day and then he'd have to, a, light leg the ne- a lightweight the next day. And you, you just see him having to sweat in the bath and 
to do the weight and that. Like the other day, I felt so, felt so bad. He was doing lightweight, so I knew he was going to be sweating that night. So he'd have to run a hot bath, sweat, go for a run. And I was desperate for a Mackey. I was like, I've got to have a Mackey tonight. So I've gone by McDonald's, but I've come back and I knew he was sweating. I thought, like, I can't bring this in the house. He can't eat tonight. So I had to eat the Mackey's in my car. <laughs> So hold on. So I, I'm really interested by this. Yeah. So when you say he might have to be at one weight one day, and then it, I mean this industry is that cutthroat that he might have to lose what four pounds or whatever yeah. it is overnight. Yeah. Well, obviously, like, like, like if, if he's got a heavy weight, then they carry lead in the uh, in their saddles. But um, so obviously, m- most of them have a weight that they're, is they kind of what they stick at most of the time. But say he had to do yeah, had to lose a few pounds for a race tomorrow, and then get on from the races today, go running, then come sit in the bath and sweat and not eat very much as well um, and that's just that's just what it is and it's not just him it's, that's most jockeys out there I think it's professional sport I guess isn't it yeah, it's, uh, you know you give everything you have to do to... yeah it's hard work and they say like you might be doing that for a horse like without sounding too bad it probably hasn't got much chance the next day as well but you've got to do it because that's your job you've got to go and ride that horse um, yeah so it's hard but then, then the days when they have a big winner like when he's come back and he's had a big winner or had a good day like he rode a treble this season which was amazing and the, wow. then, yeah, then the kind of those days are all worth it for them. Then, but most of the time, it's, it's really hard work and the travelling, like the driving, the miles they get through as well. It's, it's crazy. It's insane. So they say the say, well, lads and lasses, we're lucky we get to, to ride the horses every day without that pressure of having to ride them in the races. Um, Jay, look, I, I've you know, uh, I've chatted to you lots and lots over the years, and I've, you've taught me a huge amount tonight of stuff that we've never covered. So. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for opening up a little bit about your mum. You know that's exactly why we do this is so people can help each other and learn through shared experience and whatever. You. Um, brilliant to hear the, the the football anecdotes as well as now what you you're doing with the, the horse riding stuff. Um, so no, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. No, thank thanks you so much. It's nice to talk and look back over it and uh, remember the good times as well. We now need to try and take some money off you. Okay. For our for our charity partners, the Lord's Taverners, you were warned about this, so this won't yeah. come as a surprise. Um, who I feel like I should match Jay's donation tonight. Um, you know, it, it makes, it makes sense. matching the donations. I'm not answer, uh, asking the questions. Right. Okay. Well, Simon's put these together. Christ Almighty. Simon can ask them. You, you can do the answers, and I'll just sit back and just figure out how much money I need to contribute. <laughs> Perfect. Right. So. Question one. Okay. We we get asked. We do. I did, did a lot of research into this. In the, the first three pages on Google that came up, where I got all the information from. So I'm not saying it's not 100 percent accurate, but the answers are what the answers are. <laughs> apparently, I'm doing well, apparently, I've got a wife and three kids, though. So I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one question. You there's can one have question in a minute. That I yeah. found hilarious, and I had five minutes laughing to myself when I clicked on two different pages. But anyway, we'll talk about that in a second. So. According to transfermarket.co.in, I don't even know where that's based, but India, probably. How many first team appearances did you make in your career? Three hundred and ninety-four. Tell you what, you've sold yourself a little bit short, but yeah, four hundred and twenty-eight is the answer. Yeah, take that. But yeah, unfortunately, you're uh, you're you're out of the scope of uh, of of answering correctly there. That's two quid each. <laughs> Cheers, Jay. <laughs> so we've already we've, we've already spoken about your one red card, not whilst not being on the pitch. Yeah. Um. But how many yellows did you get? Jesus, quite a lot, I'd imagine. Uh, 
45. Oh. oh! That is close. It's close. I think that one that one comes within the, the boundary. Oh, really? 42. So, yeah, really, really close. Yeah, we'll give that one to you, actually. Yeah, we'll give you that well, one. Get in, Jay. Well done, Tubby. Yeah. Um, there's quite an interesting thing when you look at your goals and assists. On uh, certainly on transfermarket.co.ni. Anyway, yeah. um, I am. But in your professional career, how many? So Eugene's changing the question on me at the minute, which is really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> how many goals and combined goals and assists did you have in your professional career? Right, I'm going to say I've got about 36 goals and. He's on. He's on transfermarket. Not Kona. I am right now. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I'll combine eighty-eight. Oh, nearly. Nearly seventy-seven. So you almost got the number, but yeah, thirty-eight goals and thirty-nine assists. So unfortunately, that one is outside of the scope. So yeah, another two quid for you and Jono. Thank you very much. Appreciated from the Lord's hands. <laughs> the next one sums up what the internet is like when you're trying to do your research on someone so according to wikipedia yep. you are five foot five yeah. or 165 centimeters okay according to an article you wrote last year or you were involved in last year you're five foot four <laughs> and according to transfermarket.co.ni I am. Not, uh, oh, I am. Sorry, it's not the Northern Irish one this time. Um, you're 170 centimetres. But how many hands is that? So I'm guessing you mean like in uh, horse racing terms, hands, no? Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. 16 hands? Yeah, it's about you as close as 16.7 if you're going on 170 okay. centimeters and 16.2 if you're going on 165 so yeah we'll give you that one so well done two questions yeah, right questions so far right. last question you've so. already most successful i've been <laughs> you've already spoken about the uh, racehorse with ben turner yeah. yeah and called mr miyagi that's the one yeah yeah uh how many races did he win seven out of how many entries 16 Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's absolutely nailed it. He's absolutely nailed it. Oh, Jason. <laughs> Do you know, I've actually still got him. He lives up the road. Um, he lives on a farm about five minutes away. So I go and see him. I feed him twice a day. You go and see him. Uh, and I was riding him for a bit of fun for a while. Um, but obviously, we're rubbish now. Oh. So, but yeah, um, he's just up the road. When he retired, I decided to keep keep hold of him. So, yeah, he keeps me, keeps me busy as well. I mean, I mean, he was what generally. He was obviously quite useful. He was obviously quite a useful racehorse because I was looking to, on the website. I was on um, Racing Post. Transfer market. No, no, no. I was on the Racing Post. So I went on the Racing Post, and I didn't realise that this is how little attention I pay to racehorsing because I know if I got into it, I'd be a lot of money down very quickly. <laughs> um, but they've got like a, a like a bit on each horse and like when they changed trainers and who owned them until when and also he got a train by Aidan O'Brien was training him at the oh no Willie Mullins he went over there but Willie Mullins Mullins. sorry Willie Mullins basically he had a a few little uh, few issues like he was good but he just had a few little issues and um, yeah he would like for some reason I mean he was flying like going really well and then they said he couldn't run over here so I was just being stubborn really I thought I'd take him over there because he would have been allowed to run there 
Um, and yeah, you just kind of you'd get close to being able to run and then just have a few little niggly issues. So we decided to call it a day. It was not fair. And so he owed us nothing. They took us to the Cheltenham Festival twice. Um, he actually won at Cheltenham twice as well. But yeah, yeah, that yeah. was that was going to be one of the questions. But I thought you'd definitely know that. Yeah, no, he won there twice. Um, yeah, he was he was so so we were so lucky because as far as racehorses go, he didn't cost much to buy, you know. And we were very lucky with him, and he gave us some great times. So. That's why I wanted to keep him and give him a good home and good life. Um, so yeah, I've taken him out on days out down the beach and stuff around here, and he loves it. Um, he's, he's a little Amazing. bit of a lad, a bit fiery, so um, <laughs> keeps me on my toes. But yeah, like I say, I love him to bits. And we actually, me and Ben got his half brother, and we've syndicated him out. Um, so yeah, there's like 20 lads in the syndicate, wow. and he runs next Tuesday. He makes his debut. He's only a four-year-old, so we'll see how he goes. He's called LaRusso, and I'm um, obviously going with the Miyagi theme. Uh, Get on that. Look at the two boys that are picking the phone up now. So he's running at Kempton next week. First race at Kempton on Tuesday. Um, he, he just, he say he's never seen a racetrack in his life. He never know what to expect. But hopefully, he, you know, he shows a little bit of ability and we can move on from there. But um, yeah, it's just a, a nice way to keep involved in the sport. And so there's 20 of us, so it kind of makes the um, cost each month a bit more manageable, you know. So it's good fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell uh, just through Simon asking that question when he referred to it as racehorsing that he's not that <laughs> into it as a sport. <laughs> um, but, Mate, uh, I'm not the presenter. Yeah. I'm not the presenter. I just I have to ask some questions <laughs> at the end. That's all I do. What's the? Um, I mean, what what generally? I think this is another interesting point as well, Jay. Like, what generally happens to the these? You know, unless they get studied out and whatever, there's the most you know the really successful horses do. What happens to these horses once they finish racing? Do they just get put out to pasture, allowed to you know wander around a field for the rest of the days? Or that's what? what it depends how they retire. If they've got a really bad injury, then it's the most you know nice thing. To do, then yeah, of you course, know, put them out of their misery. But I'd say I'd say the majority of them they get they get good lives outside because a lot of the lads and lasses who look after them they get like our yard for instance. If a horse was had to retire tomorrow um, and he was still sound, then the lad or lass who looks after him, if the owner doesn't want to keep him, they offer him to us if we want to. You know, find a new house. A lot of the girls here, they've got horses that used to be in training here and they look after them now. And um, just because they can't be a racehorse anymore doesn't mean they can't have a good life. They can, you know, a lot of the girls here use them in eventing and show jumping, stuff like that, and just hacking out or a bit, a bit of fun. A lot of them go into point to pointing as well. Um, so, yeah, or okay. like hunting. Um, so, yeah, it's like, a, a lot of them do get a good life when they finish, um, which, is, which is good. There's enough people in racing. And, and the people, I know some people look at it as a cruel sport, but it really isn't. Like, the course is looked after so well. Um, and the people who train them and look after them always want to see them have a good home and make sure they go somewhere somewhere that's going to look after them. So, yeah, they're pretty lucky about that. Well, look, it's, it's been, you know, amazing to talk mm-hmm. to you. I'm so glad that it, you seem so passionate about it. And, and as you may, I'm, I, that's, that's really cool for me to, to see you having found another passion post your, your first passion of football. So... Uh, thanks so much for taking the time out to uh, speak to us. I know you've probably got to be up in about three <laughs> yeah, hours yeah. to go and horses out. So yeah, quick, quick mackers and then yeah. bed. But uh, Jay Tab, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your time, mate. And we'll uh, yeah, go well. Thanks mate. for having me on. Too. Appreciate it. Cheers. No, cheers, Jay. Really appreciate it. Looking for a new cricket equipment partner for yourself or your club can sometimes be tricky with so many options to choose from. How do you make the right choice? When you want quality, value and service, there really is only one place to start. For more than a decade, Woodstock Cricket have been producing award-winning, high-performance cricket bats from their Shropshire workshop. 
matched with their classy soft goods, luggage and accessories, Woodstock Cricket really do tick all the boxes. Get in touch with Woodstock Cricket and find out why many loyal clubs, players and international customers can't be wrong at info at woodstockcricket.co.uk. Uh, welcome back. Um, really, really hope you enjoyed that interview with, with Jay. We certainly did, the three of us, uh, while we were going through it. Uh, thanks again, as always, to our uh, sponsors, Woodstock Cricket. Please do go and check them out. Uh, the wife wants a new handbag, so uh, all, uh, all orders appreciated. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness. Um, lads, just, you know, off the back of interviewing Jay, I mean... And I, I kind of said this to you before, but, you know, I think people have a preconceived idea of what a footballer will be in terms of personality or kind of, you know, highlights in their air or a bit showy or whatever. Like, Jay's just the nicest, quietest lad. Like, you know, um, the way that he was, he was so honest with us about, you know, some tough stuff that he's had to deal with, obviously with his mum passing and what have you. Um, but the thing that I found fascinating... And I didn't, I probably didn't expect this level of honesty. It was when we pushed him on, you know, like, if, do you, you know, if you're on the bench, you know, and he, and he actually said, well, once it gets to the last 10 minutes, you're like, absolutely fucking not, Gaff. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, start looking, start looking at your socks or something. Um, but I just thought it was really refreshing because that's not a view, it's not a kind of insight you'd often get from people. And I, I think we're really thankful, the three of us, aren't we, that he was so, so good and open about all that kind of stuff. Well, I, what a what a weird sport, you, you know. Seven substitutions, and you only got sorry, seven subs, and you can only sub three of them. What's the point? I just don't understand that. You know, cricket at least you have eleven players, all eleven play. Um, yeah. Anyway, football, you know, a different sport for me. But yeah, what what? A, and again, Jay, what a lovely guy. Yeah. Just you know, definitely did not expect the interview when you said professional footballer. I expected loud, brash, you know, in your face. Not at all. What an absolute legend of a guy. Simon? Yeah, I echo that really. Just, I've never met him before. You, you, you mentioned him before, but like, just a really nice guy. Really genuine, down to earth, like you just said. And like, just these, the, the, the really interesting part for me was when he was talked about at Ipswich and he got offered the chance to go out on loan and he was done. And he just, he's honest. I mean, he, he strikes me as someone that seems to be quite honest with most, of this, or just the way he goes about things. Yeah. And and he was honest with Mick McCarthy, who was the manager at the time, and just went, no, mate, I think I'm done. Mm. Like, but honest with I'll, himself as well, enough to yeah. at one point wake up and just go, do you know what, I really don't want to do this anymore. I mean... You know, he could have he could have just, you know, pissed around playing at clubs that he didn't want to play at just for the sake of a, a decent paycheck every week. But hmm. obviously, he's had a complete change of lifestyle. Went and did, you know, he's he's, he's invested his money wisely from his footballing days, um, and and so you know he's very shrewd and savvy like that. Um, but you know, he's, I mean, I've written something down here: um, scoring screamers to shoveling shit. Um, <laughs> You know, there was that story about when he scored that, you know, last kick of the game at Wickham and he jumped yeah. into the crowd and, you know, we asked him about the adrenaline of that kind of stuff. And then, and now he's up at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, that those points where he was having to run around in, you know, sweatsuits and stuff just so he could actually be 11 stone to go and ride, um, and do the ride outs and stuff. I mean, what a completely different lifestyle 
you know, but he's obviously got such a passion for it that that's all that matters. Especially the way he got into it by, you know, unassuming and, you know, rooming with a mate that sort of said, okay, yeah, I'm going to watch some horse racing or, or racing horses, which, whichever way we go with it. Um, so then, you know, having a massive interest in it and now being in that industry, just, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, if he had grown up in a family that did a lot of, um, you know, horse riding or anything like that, yeah. maybe that would have been interesting. But, but yeah, w- what a way to get into it. It's just one of those things where you sort of think to yourself, you know, any of us that are out there, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, yeah. maybe there's an opportunity to go and do something else that's going to, you know, be more of a conducive job, something that you're going to enjoy more. Mm. Maybe, you know, start up a podcast company, um, you know, who knows? Exactly. The, uh, do you know what something else just that, talking about this? It's just jogged my memory because obviously we, this is, today's Monday. Um, he's got he's got a runner tomorrow, hasn't he? One of the horses that he owns. He does. Yeah. At yeah, Campton, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll have to talk uh, about that off air. Um, Larusso, wasn't it? Larusso, that's LaRusso, it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm going to check that out and probably uh, probably have a little flutter on that. I think. Um, yeah. I look. What a diverse sporting kind of background as well, and, and interests. Obviously, he's a brilliant golfer. Uh, I've never. He's always taken money off me, unfortunately, rather than the other way around. He's an absolute bandit. He plays off five, but he should be on the tour. Um, the uh, loves his rugby. Brilliant kicker, um, but you know, I suffered some shoulder problems, and obviously, I think some knee problems from when he was playing his football. Um, obviously, his horse racing. I think he still loves football, and, and probably will still keep an eye on it. But um, yeah, just a, just a brilliant guy. You know, obviously, family being being. Um, Part Irish is very, very important to him. So I know that the Duggans and uh, the Tom Worrell and, and Saoirse and that will be will have listened into this. So uh, hello, guys. Uh, hello to everybody at the Old Wimbledonians as well. That that must be must be said. Um, but yeah, just an absolute pleasure to interview him. I, we've had another conversation this week where we kind of talked to this guest, this this lady that we're going to get on in the future. Which where we actually covered off some of the stuff that we were talking to Jay about, didn't we? In terms of the sweatsuits and stuff, so not not sweatsuits as it like for for losing weight purposes. But this, this lady, we're really excited to you know hopefully have involved in the in the podcast as we move forward a bit. Not yeah, I mean, what I will say about when it came to Jay was just like his his clarity of thought that he had on things. I thought that was. He was obviously he had a quiet he was a quiet guy but he was confident he had a, you could tell he had a confidence in him and he he had a clarity of thought that I think is is important for you to be able to he's got diversity in across his life and that's from speaking to some of the guys that we have and that conversation that we also had um, with uh, with the lady that we're looking again on um, I think that's something that that when you once you obtain that clarity it leads yourself into a far better mental situation to deal with the trials and tribulations that are thrown at you on a on a daily basis um and that was what was really impressing for me like he's just that, that ability to go no why because i don't want to i want to do this and i'm going to do it and yeah. it is as simple as that seems it takes a very strong mind and a very strong will to go no, I'm going to leave professional football, playing in the championship, earning X thousands of pounds a week in a very comfy situation mm. to being a stable hand or, or a jockey or, or whatever he goes on to be at the end of it 
And yeah, there's a lot of money in horse racing, but it's not as comfortable a life as he would have been living there. No. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm aware, obviously, Eugene, we've been um, vaguer than vague there, haven't we, when <laughs> talking about this this hypothetical lady that we've been talking to. Uh, all will become clear with that um, as we as we move forward in a, in a few weeks' time. We can't say too much about it until it's all absolutely confirmed or whatever. Uh, we have got, however, some amazing, um, more amazing guests uh, that are going to be coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, so in terms of who you're going to be hearing from over the next few weeks, so we've got Lydia Greenway, who's obviously had an amazing cricket career with um, England. Mark Lawrenson, the uh, ex-Liverpool footballer and BBC pundit. Uh, we're talking to some really, really cool people, um, which it, but until they're confirmed, we, we, don't want to, we don't want to confirm that. We're talking to what the, the lady that we're talking to on Wednesday, Huge. Can you talk to us a little bit about her? Yeah, Laura Bailey. Um... Uh, ladies skipper at Spencer Cricket Club. Um, okay. Yeah, it's going to be. I'm looking forward to it. You know, having. Um, I suppose it's our first clubby when you think about it. Besides, you know, besides the, the three of us that are obviously clubbies. Um, yeah, it'll be nice to one get a bit of diversity. Um, mm. You know, get an understanding of what it's like to grow up um, playing cricket um, in, in probably a, a minority. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, understand the, the trials and tribulations of what she's been through. I don't want to give too much away on it because uh, I sort of set the, the, the conversation we're up. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So that's next week's, um, yeah, next week's one. So, yeah, Laura's, Laura's going to be on. Brilliant. Well, look, I think for, for this week, uh, another great episode, lads. Thoroughly enjoyable, uh, as always. Um, before we go, we must thank, again, our partners and sponsors, obviously the Lord's Taverners, uh, Woodstock Cricket, but we shouldn't forget Big Smoke Brewery. Um, do not forget to go onto their website and you can, by entering the code SLOG in it, you can get 15% off any purchases you make, which is 5% more than anywhere else, um, such is the value that they see our audiences uh, being able to bring to their corporation. God knows why, but you know we managed to convince them to do it. Uh, don't forget about the uh, SLOG in it golf day, um, info at sloginit.co.uk. Um, it's filling up fast. There are people, you know, it's it's going miles better and miles quicker than we probably would have ever expected it to, uh, which is really exciting for us. But don't be disappointed. Make sure you get in touch and ask us about that. Um, and then obviously, yeah, if your club is potentially interested in hosting us as the slugging it cricket kind of um, celebrity, well, celebrities in the Three Stooges, being me, Robbo and Eugene Eleven, um, then uh, then yeah, it, all via the same email. So. Uh, Tata for now. Thanks very much for joining us, and we shall see you anon. See you later, guys. See you later.